us. I'm glad you guys are here. Uh, I'm going to jump into a message right now that is really specific. It's about uh, relationships, and it's about, uh, it's about us being closer together through this quarantine, and uh, it's really important for us to kind of maybe get a little bit better at relationships while we're all put in tighter quarters with one another. Um, and so I'm just starting off to tell you, I think you're going to want to hang in for the whole thing because this message, um, very, very practical, um, very, very helpful, stuff that has helped me tremendously um, as I continue to try to get great at, uh, at any relationship that I have, and not just um, like a marital relationship, but as a father, as a friend, as a coworker, whatever it is, uh, this, this applies to all of those. Um, I am... Very excited, very, very excited about uh, tonight at 9 o'clock Eastern on ESPN, the, the uh, docu-series about Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls in the 90s called The Last Dance. It starts tonight. The first two episodes air tonight. And uh, I mean, look, I grew up in the 90s, and uh, I was a teenager in the 90s, and the Chicago Bulls were like my entire world. I mean... I remember year after year, every Sunday after church, my favorite thing to do was to go home and watch the Bulls play and just watch Michael Jordan get the ball. And honestly, the only time I have ever seen or felt the same thing that I felt when I used to watch Michael Jordan and winning all those championships is, is when I watched LeBron James play because there's just someone that's transcendent who's on the floor. And Michael Jordan used to just take over games all the time and I was like such a huge fan. I remember when, um, like right around 1991, 92, 93, um, I had a VHS tape of the dunk competition between him and Dominique Wilkins and Spud Webb. And I used to just watch it over and over and over again. Um, I absolutely love Michael Jordan. I had this, my parents got me this big book called Air Jordan with all these like amazing photographs in it. Um, I, I, I'm just such a huge fan. He was like my favorite um, athlete, and obviously this guy is, you know, probably the most famous person in the world, maybe one of the most recognizable people in the world, if not the most recognizable, the, one of the most uh, rich brands. I mean, this guy has just done so much, and um, one of the things about this series tonight, it's 10 different parts that'll be showing throughout the next month, is that um, I read a lot about it, and Michael Jordan was involved in the process, so you're going to see a lot of things that... Uh, um, he was heavily involved in. He gave the green light for a lot of the different parts. And what's funny about that is that a lot of us know Michael Jordan to be this amazing athlete and obviously winning the six championships and all the different titles that he did and all the different um, records that he broke. But most of us know that his uh, private life was somewhat crazy, somewhat intense. Um, people have kind of maybe mixed ideas about who he was. Um, people do know that he was kind of a heavy gambler, kind of a crazy nightlife, very extreme personality. Um, he had some exploits that people know about. And a lot of the people that played with him and know him said that they, they hated him. They hated playing with him because he was so intense and he was so direct. And ultimately what you see is that Michael Jordan uh, was so committed to being the best basketball player that he became the greatest 
at basketball um, at the expense of having great relationships. And this is something that's very, it's very interesting for someone that's that good because he okayed, and I think what you're going to see is tonight and throughout this series, you're going to see uh, a close-up of a lot of his relationships and how bad they were, how difficult they were. He actually said after seeing some of the first couple episodes, it, he, he was quoted this week saying, I'm afraid pe- after people watch this, so they're going to think I'm a horrible guy. And so there was a lot of conversation this week on talk radio about, you know, what do you think? Do you think when you see the up close, some of this footage that's never been out of the vault, do you think that you'll think less of Michael Jordan as an athlete? And, you know, most of the athletes that are on the radio are like, no, I'm not going to think less of him as an athlete because I already knew that he wasn't a great guy. And people that perform at that level, basically, they just, they just do everything they can. They literally just push the other people on their team. They try to get under their skin. They compete all the time. The trash talking, they can be hated and they don't care because they become really, really great. And so Michael Jordan, uh, he became great at the expense of great relationships. It made me think of an article that I read in Harvard Business Review, which is one of the, my favorite magazines. I love it because there's a lot of scientific studies and social studies and a different uh, of the greatest thinkers that put together their, their recent thoughts. And one article came out recently I love. It was called In Praise of Extreme Moderation. And what it was is it was a guy who basically realized that the culture that we live in is getting more and more extreme that people are just becoming extreme personalities, that like people are making work and money, everything, and then everything else in their life is like falling down and crashing and not working. But as long as they make a lot of money and they're good at their job, then it's like celebrated. It's like this thing, like, oh, you're good at your job, so be extreme about one or two things. Like this happens with workouts. He talked about how people are just like all about working out and they're all about doing the marathon, and basically like they just sell out and everything else falls and goes into shambles in their life except for the fact that they're gonna run a marathon, they're gonna get in shape, and they're gonna do their workouts. And so he just talked about how this happens in all different kinds of ways. Extremism is getting more extreme. People are getting more intense about music or they're getting more intense about parenting. They're thinking, I'm just gonna be a great parent, I'm gonna hover over my kids, I'm gonna do everything to make them, my kids, the best kids, and then everything else falls to the wayside. Even marital relationships, I'm gonna be a great parent, but I'm I'm gonna be a horrible spouse. I'm gonna be a great parent, but I'm gonna be a bad friend. And he just listed all these different things of people getting extreme in life, just picking something and going after it, like social media. There are some people that are like, I'm just gonna be great at social media. I'm gonna get thousands and thousands of followers. I'm gonna get all these likes and everything else is gonna fall to the wayside. And the reason that um, that article kind of like caught my attention is what this guy goes on to say is that he says, I am actually going to be extreme, but with moderation. And so he comes up with this idea of extreme moderation. And he's like, I am going to actually just be pretty good at lots of things, and that's gonna be my goal in life, is to be pretty good at lots of things. And you read through the article, he talks about, yeah, I like to run every day, and I like to eat healthy, and I like to work well, and there's plenty of people that beat me in all those individual categories, but there's not many people that beat me in all of them. And he said that this idea of extreme moderation from a lot of different people's perspective, is viewed as like amateurism. It's viewed as like it's kind of soft and living softly. But what he said is he said, I want to do a reasonable job at the different parts of my life and a stellar job at the balance between all of them. 
I just want to, I want extreme moderation. I want to have like a balance in my life. I want to, I want to make my goal to have a little bit of everything and have everything be kind of balanced and smooth in my life. And he said his kind of model for this was something that Aristotle said. He said, you need to have something to do, someone to love, and something to hope for. And so basically he breaks it down into these three different categories of, you know, I gotta have something to do and I'm gonna put some energy in that and have someone or someone to love and then I have, you know, something to hope for and look forward to. So it kind of breaks it into financial stuff and obviously relational stuff and something to spend his time in doing every single day. And the reason that this kind of hit me is when I think about this guy, this author, extreme moderation, and you think about Michael Jordan, you look at this and you go, you know, people basically, they have their own measuring sticks for success. You know, we all kind of like decide what we're gonna do and we go, well, I'm gonna be great at basketball. I'm gonna be fantastic at it, even at the expense of relationships. Or I'm gonna be great at a little bit of everything. Or I'm gonna be great at, you know, at at dancing. Or I'm gonna be great at singing. Or I'm gonna be great at making money. And people, we all go through our lives and we kind of make our own target. We have our own measuring stick for success. And we kind of build these goals, whether it's intentional or not. There goes the air conditioning working. We build these goals, whether it's intentional or not. And ultimately, we go, if I reach my goal, then I'm successful. You know, and then a lot of people look back at all the time and energy they spent making their goals. And they ask, was it worth it? Was it good? Am I glad that I made that my goal? You know, I wonder, like tonight, we'll get to hear Michael Jordan talk. I wonder if his extreme commitment to success in basketball is worth all of the foiled and difficult relationships that he had. I wonder if anyone out there has said, I want to make all the money in the world, if you're happy with what's happened relationally. I wonder if you've decided to be such a great parent that maybe you've ruined a different relationship. I, I just wonder. I think every one of us has to step back and go, what is success? What's my measuring stick? And ultimately, today's message is about the church of Jesus Christ all kind of agreeing upon at least a couple, maybe one, maybe two things that God says, this is what success is. This is what success is. So that we don't have to make up our own. That's one of the things about knowing and following Jesus is he's our Lord, which means he's our map, which means it's who we worship. So he gets to set the standard for success. And I think one of the things about following Jesus is that is very like liberating. Okay, show me where to go. Show me what to do. Show me how to live. But then at the same time, once he shows you what real life is all about, it can be extremely difficult. So we need to have it shown to us, and then we need to start marching in that direction. As Christ followers, Christ, he makes the measuring stick for success. He's the one that says, this is what it looks like. He's the one that says, here's what you should be spending your time on. He's the one that says, this is the way to do it. And so we all have to kind of spend our time going, do I want my success to be what God says? And one of the things, if not the most important thing that Jesus says is a measuring stick for success is relationships. Relationships. Just having a relationship with people and having your relationship with people and to people be healthy and godly. Ultimately, uh, one of Jesus' closest disciples he kind of retells the whole idea of what it meant to follow and be close to Jesus in the book of 1 John. And to put it plainly, he says, if you say that you love God and you don't love people, 
And ultimately, he takes the language even further than that. If you don't love people or people don't know that you love them, ultimately, if you don't have great relationships with people, but you act like you have a great relationship with God, your horizontal interaction with God is good, but your kind of, or your, your vertical relationship with God is good, but like your horizontal relationships are struggling or are kind of binding up or they don't work or you're constantly in conflict or they're not healthy, He basically says if you don't show you love people, then you can't say you love God because John says loving people is synonymous with loving God. Which is a big, big deal for a first century movement that is all about worshiping God. Because up until this point, you have the way we interact with God, kind of a sacrificial system, and doing things that kind of appease God or rise to God, things we burn up, time that we spend, killing animals. That's what the Jewish sacrificial system was like. That's what it looked like to, to be loyal to God. Well now, the authors of the New Testament are like, loyalty to God doesn't look like you going into the temple and doing a bunch of things according to a bunch of rules. What it looks like is you having great relationships. This is very, very radical. This is a very radical thing. And it doesn't mean that the Jews in the Old Testament didn't care about having great relationships. They did, in fact. But what's happening here is because God became flesh and became a friend, now it's become even more apparent. It's become magnified. God became a man. He had a relationship with us. He calls us his friend. We're supposed to do relationship now the way that God does a relationship. He comes down. He looks at people in the the face. He has great relationships with them. He's a great friend. He lays down his life for them, it's become more real, it's become physical, it's become material. And so ultimately with Easter, what we've been celebrating for the past week and a half is we have new creation, Jesus raising from the dead and restarting the creative process of bringing us back into the original design and new creation as it is understood according to the resurrection equals new humanity. It means a new way to be human, a new way to be human. And ultimately what this looks like is relationships start to become the most important part of the way we do life. You're great at relationship, the new creative Jesus is moving into your heart, he's moving into your life so that you can start to be great at engaging the humanity that's on earth and you're supposed to embody that. Now, all that being said, our relationships are probably being tested more than ever because of this quarantine. So we're called to be Christ followers. Jesus rose from the dead. The day he rises from the dead, he starts new creation. New creation means new humanity. You better start being good at being a friend of people because God became a friend of people. So you better start to do that too. That's what Christianity looks like. John says, hey, you say you love God and you don't love people, you don't love God. So you better start doing this new human thing. You better get really good at relationships. And so then the quarantine comes 2,000 years later and we all get shoved into the same room and our relationships are getting tested. And so uh, I wanna just share some compassion because everybody right now is under more stress. And so of course our relationships are getting tested. Like even when things are stressful but you get to go and go to a job and you only come home at the end of the day, you can still have a very stressful relationship with your kids or your spouse or your mom and dad or whatever it is. It can be very, very stressful normally. Well now we have an immense amount of stress because of all the uncertainty, all the different challenges. Potentially someone in your life is sick. Potentially you lost a job. Potentially you've lost money. Potentially you're working more. 
I mean, potentially you're just stuck in your house with someone else for a long period of time, maybe with a little baby or a dog, maybe lots of kids, maybe weird neighbors. I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of different things that it's all causing a level of stress now. And when we all get put together, you have one stressed out entity next to another stressed out entity. When normally relationships are hard, you can imagine that relationships are going to get harder because we're all in a confined spot right now. It's tough. And so I've read a lot of different articles that are talking about how if you're tired, if your relationship is strained right now, like that's normal. Of course you're going to be strained. I mean, basically I read this one article that said if you feel physically exhausted, does anybody feel physically exhausted? Like, and you're like, why am I physically exhausted? Like, I'm not leaving, I'm just sitting here. And one of the things it said is that humans are designed to communicate physically with their bodies. And that 90% of communication is nonverbal. And so what's happening is humanity is being shoved into these Zoom calls where all we get to use is our face and our words. And what that does is it, it shuts down our bodies from being instruments of communication, and it makes us only focus all of our communication through words, which is very stressful if most of the time, only 10% of the time, 10% of your communication is verbal. So it's like a log jam of communication. And then what's happening is your body is going, I'm designed to communicate, I'm designed to communicate, and it's not, and it's getting itself completely stressed out. And so, look, if you're tired, it's understandable. If your relationships have more conflict, That's normal. People are broken and we need Jesus and we need recreated from the inside out. But this quarantine for sure is causing stress in relationships. The the statistics are out there. There have been um, more uh, more conflicts reported to the police in in homes with domestic violence and some of the challenges there. I mean, those things are obvious. The, the, The quarantine is testing our relationships. And so what I wanna give you today is if, if God says that relationships is really connected to the new humanity, that it looks like to follow Jesus and know Jesus and, and have a relationship with Jesus, then what I wanna do is I wanna give you one thing one thing to better improve your relationships in a divine way. One little thing, that if you do this one thing, then like you will take your relationships and they will get ratcheted up immediately. Like when you do this thing, then you will start to see that you are doing what Jesus calls you to do, to love your spouse, to love your friends, to love each other better. Like if we all just do this, This is a key ingredient to being great at relationships, to being Christ followers. Um, And it's really simple, and it's just to learn how to listen. Just to listen. So I'm gonna spend the last 20 minutes of this talk just talking about listening. I'm gonna ask you to listen while I talk about listening. Now, as we are all like, like in this quarantine, Uh, and we're all with each other more, and relationships are being strained, and we're gonna talk about listening. I wanna talk about one of my favorite authors who is a relationship guru, and I've talked about him before. His name is John Gottman, and he's done tons of work on what makes relationships work. And his favorite quote that he says is the heart song of people who are great at relationships is this, is when something is wrong or you're hurting, the world stops, and I listen. So this is what John Gottman says. He says, people 
who are great at relationship are so in tune with the people that they're around that if something is wrong with them or they are hurting, they say, my world stops and I listen. He has found that after doing six years of putting couples in isolation together, being studied, that when couples embody this idea where they show the people that they're around, that if something's going on with them, they actually put their agenda, they put their ideas, they put their, um, whatever's going on, their circumstances, they put them to the side and they go, look, if something's wrong with you, my world stops and I wanna listen. So here's my question for all of you. The world has stopped. Are you listening? We have an opportunity to listen more now than ever. Now, what you'll see when relationships start to get crazy is you'll see a lot of fighting or bickering or you'll hear complaints. Anybody out there? Anybody out there starting to complain a little bit more? Anybody out there starting to bicker a little bit more, right? And you're starting to feel these complaints. You're starting to like, you almost can't keep it in. And what John Gottman says, he says, with every complaint, with every single complaint, there's a request. So complaints mean I'm asking for something. I'm hel- I need you to help me. Basically, when we complain to one another, if someone is complaining to us, that is someone going, I want you to guess what? To listen. I want you to listen to me. So we can all start to get better at relationships. We can just get mad when someone bickers. We can just get upset when someone complains. Or we can start to be really good at relationships, which is what's supposed to happen when we follow Christ. And we can go, oh, that complaint, there's something going on behind that complaint. With every complaint, there's a request. So if you're the complainer, maybe you can start asking yourself, what am I actually after here? And if you're the person on the receiving end of the complaint, maybe you can start to think about the complaint a little bit different and give the people around you some grace. As I mentioned, John Gottman, he studied relationships more than anybody else, a six-year study of putting people together under video surveillance, just living out normal lives. And what he said, and I've talked about this before, is he said that couples who engage one another when someone reaches out, when someone tries to engage them, If the person that is being reached out to turns to that person, 86% of the time, they stay married. He calls this bids for connection. I've talked about this before. And what this is, is just a different way to think about listening. Because what he's saying is, if someone is trying to communicate with you, and you, 86% of the time, you actually give them your attention, you actually listen to what they're saying, Those couples that actually listen when someone reaches out to say something or communicate something or complain or ask for something or whatever, share or just talk about the weather, whoever does that the majority of the time stays married. He found that people, when someone reaches out, that people were getting divorced if they only responded to those kind of bids for connection 33% of the time. So if you don't start to listen, you're in trouble. 
your relationship is going to fall apart. So we have to get really good at listening because listening is this way that we show each other that we care about one another. It's the way that we show each other that that you matter, that you have something to say. And what you're complaining about, there's something behind that. I care about that. I wanna know what's going on in your life. So being good at listening is really important if we're going to be great at having relationships with one another. You actually cannot be a bad listener and be good at relationship. Think about that. Is it, is it possible for you to go through your life and never listen and have great relationships? It's impossible. You actually have to get really good at listening in order to have great relationships. And that's what all of this research says. And more importantly, the word of God says this. The scriptures teach us how important listening is. Now I'm gonna open up to the book of James, James chapter one, and uh, we're gonna read a passage of scripture together. It's gonna be on the screen, don't go to it yet. But I wanna read this to you. And um, it, is, it is a profound, radical piece of scripture. James, in the New Testament, the book of James, is, he, he's the brother of Jesus. This is the half-brother of Jesus. And this James that wrote this letter is one of the leaders, you could call him the pastor, of the first church in Jerusalem. Okay, so what you have is Jesus started a movement he ascends into heaven, and then his followers start to preach the gospel, and more people become followers of Jesus. Then some of those uh, apostles, disciples, they actually leave Jerusalem, and they go and they share the gospel in all these different regions of the world. James, the brother of Jesus, he actually stays back, and he pastors the church in Jerusalem. So think about who's in his church. The people who are in his church are a bunch of, of Jewish people who are committed to a Jewish way of life, a temple-worshiping, sacrificial way of doing their faith. And this first chapter to the church that is a bunch of Jews who are now saying we believe in Jesus is basically so radically um, revolutionary that it's hard to wrap your brain around. Because for all of their history, faith looked like a sacrificial system, doing things, going to the temple, and it was, it was all about being a good follower, going to, um, going to the tabernacles, going to the synagogues, and reading the scriptures, and going through those motions. James, who's pastoring these Jewish people who are now Christ followers, in one chapter completely revolutionizes what it looks like to be faithful to God. The first part of the, of the, the uh, chapter, he basically says, now I know this is really hard for you guys to be followers of Jesus, but you need to understand that your trials are going to build you into mature followers of Jesus. So that's the passage that a lot of us know where he says, um, consider it pure joy when you face various trials. He's basically saying it's really hard for people who have been Jewish their whole life to now transition and follow Jesus and get persecuted and feel like it's wrong, but don't worry, God is in that, stay with it. And then before he ends the first chapter, he talks about, of all things, you're talking about what worship looked like for the whole Jewish community. He jumps into not worship songs, not what 
pastors should be preaching, not certain like of the ways that a church should be set up, not like not where to have church, not what it should, none of that. None. He literally jumps into relationships. He doesn't even jump into just relationships. He jumps into one specific aspect of relationships, listening. This is the pastor of the first church that was all Jews who did, Christ, who did faith a certain way. Now he is literally going, so I wanna tell you what your faith should look like now. And he doesn't just say, you should love one another. He jumps in to spe- the specific nature of listening and how that is a key. It is a cardinal virtue for being a Christ follower. This is incredible, the emphasis here. If you, were, uh, if you were listening to this, you'd be like, are you serious? You just jumped from like, we're, we're these Jewish followers and now we have this revolutionized king and Messiah to listening? It's radical what he does. And so what it means is that faith and your relationships are so interconnected. It's everything I've been talking about. You cannot be a faithful person of God and not be good at relationships. In fact, you cannot be great at faith and not be a good listener to the people around you. That's how detailed he gets. He jumps right in and starts to talk about the way that we interact with each other in this very nuanced, sophisticated, relational aspect called listening. It's crazy. Um, So let's read this together. It's gonna be up on the screen. He says, my dear brothers, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, Get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror after looking at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what he looks like, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Listen to this second to last sentence of the entire passage. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. This passage, James starts off with saying, be quick to listen. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. And then he basically says, if you can't control your tongue, which basically means if you're a bad listener and all you do is talk, if all you do is talk and you don't listen, you have bad faith. Your religion, remember who we're talking to, a bunch of people that had very intense religious um, statutes that they would follow every single day, every single year, all the festivals, all the different trips, Passover, all the Pentecost, all the different things, all the different festivals, all the stuff that they would do. He literally says, if you are not good at listening and you, you can't keep a tight ring on your tongue and therefore be a good listener, you're, 
Your faith is worthless. Now, there's a couple things that I think are fascinating about this. He says that listening is good faith. That listening is good religion, not talking. Just, just let that sink in for a second. Good faith in God is synonymous with listening, not with talking. Now, when I thought of that this week, as a preacher, I was like, whoa, whoa. Like, we talk. Like, we're, we're supposed to talk. We have to learn to talk. How many of us, when we think about our faith, we think, my faith is synonymous with talking. It, it means I have to be able to say something. It means I be, need to be able to have a rebuttal. It means I need to be able to articulate things. It means, it means I need to be able to sing. I mean, I just ha- I can't have faith without speaking. The brother of Jesus literally says that you can measure your faith not by what you say, but by what you don't say, by listening. Now, I think that in general, everyone in the world right now at least everyone in the United States needs to hear this. Because you start to take this to political things. What do we think? We think that it matters if I say something. It matters what I think. And a lot of us would grow and blossom and be a new type of humanity if we decided to listen more than we speak. If we just decided to listen more than we speak, if you just decided to say, you know what, my job as a Christ follower, it's like I, I wanna be mature and I wanna be like good at being a Christ follower. Imagine if all the Christ followers decided that we were gonna be 50% better at just listening. Just politically, just on social media. Just listen, hear other people's perspectives, learn. Now, of course, you take that to your household Imagine how your relationship would change if you decided that the key to it wasn't being heard. If you decided that the key to it wasn't that they understand or you articulate everything perfectly, but that you listen to what they have to say. James says, you wanna be good at faith? You wanna be good at at this new Jesus way, the new humanity, you wanna be good at it? Be really good at listening. Have a tight rein on your tongue because if you can't control your tongue and mainly listen, your faith is worthless. The the word that he uses for worthless is like it's, it's useless. It has no value. It basically means, this is very challenging, if all you do is you can't control your tongue so you talk, it basically means everything you say means nothing. If you're not a good listener, everything you say means nothing. Doesn't matter what you say. Doesn't matter. You have to learn to listen. He talks about listening to the word of God. He literally starts to get into, you better just get good at listening. You need to be the kind of person that listens and takes this in because the person that doesn't listen is like the person that just talks, 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 goes and looks into a mirror and then they go, oh, I better change and then they don't. So when we talk about listening, this, this first part of the verse is, is kind of everything because James says, be quick, be quick to listen. So what does it mean to be quick to listen? To be quick at it. It means more than just step back and wait. It means that you get skilled at listening. It means that you're prepared and ready to listen. 
It means that you train at listening. It means that you show up to the meeting ready to listen. It means that you do reps of listening on your own so that when you get with other people, you have refined the skill and the practice of listening. It, James is not joking around. Be quick to listen. Be skilled at listening. Be prepared at listening. Practice listening all the time so that you can have a faith that's worth following, so that you can have a faith that's real, so you can have a faith that looks like the kind of faith that Jesus left us with. Now, if you hear that and you're like, man, you know, I just talk so much, and you, you, you're, you were one of those kids that your grandma used to say, you know, God gave you two ears and one mouth so that you could listen twice as much as you could talk. If, you were, if you're one of those people, you're just like, I don't know how to listen. Like, I don't know how to like get there. Like, I wanna share some compassion with you because listening like James talks about, it is a skill and it's something that you have to work on. And it's something that has to kind of like happen or you have to make happen in your life. And I have a couple of listening prerequisites, a couple of ways for you to become a good listener. And the first one is this, is that people who listen to others well, they have obviously spent a lot of time listening to Jesus. Listening to others is a sign of listening to Jesus. I mean, it sounds silly, but here's the deal. Listening is a very humble behavior. Sitting back and listening to what your spouse has to say, listening to what your friends have to say, listening to what people on the other side of the aisle have to say, this is something that you have to force upon yourself and it humbles you. It's very hard to be good at listening. So whenever we read the words of Jesus, those words, they transform us. So learning about Jesus humbles us. It shows us who we are. It shows us our need for God. It shows us how desperately we're, we're kind of living this life in constant you know, misunderstanding of who God and what reality is all about. But what happens is, is if you just actually every single day, you go, I'm gonna listen to what Jesus has to say instead of talk, then you are going to be on the right track to being a good listener. So before you go and try to listen to everyone else, or before you go and share your piece, ask yourself this question, how much have I listened to Jesus today? How much have I listened? Now this happens in prayer too. Do you ever just sit and go, God, speak to me. I wanna hear your voice. Most people that say that they hear God's voice when they pray, if they ask God to speak to them, are people who say what, what God does is he speaks to me through the words I've read in scripture before. And so typically, people who are great at listening have done a lot of time, a lot of miles, listening to Jesus. It humbles them, it trains them to listen. Another prerequisite for listening is this. Listening to others is a sign that you've spent enough time listening to yourself. Listening to yourself. You see, actually, it's a sign of maturity and growth for people that talk to themselves. I don't know if you've ever read studies about this. People that are intelligent and they spend time, they're, they're, they're kind of self-aware, they talk out loud, they talk to themselves. You see, a lot of times we talk so much because we want someone else to hear our perspective. We feel we need someone to hear our perspective. But have you ever stopped and gone, do I know what I need? Do I know what I think? Have I thought this through? 
One of the ways to, to get to the point where you really know yourself is to journal, write down. Like, okay, I'm listening to myself. What do I have to say? Before you go and just spill your guts or you just complain or you just let it all out, listen to yourself. You should be able to know yourself and go, I know what I want. I know where my darkest kind of problems are. I know what matters. And, and so you have to go through the process of listening to yourself. You have to go to the process of putting who you are on paper. Now, this happens in a bunch of different ways. It can happen in the context of counseling. It can happen in the context of prayer. Um, but it also happens similarly to this last one, and that is that listening is a sign that you have had someone listen to your words and cherish them. So a lot of people spend a lot of time talking because they never felt heard. They just never did. So they never had anyone listen to them. So if you take your relationships and you use those as times to make yourself heard, you'll damage the relationship because talking too much damages relationships. We have to get better at listening. So what has to happen is you have to have trusted relationships in your life, like a counselor, like a friend, maybe a mom or a dad or a, a sibling, where you are invited to share and if you don't have this, you might have to go to counseling to actually get this, and, and that's okay. But people that are great at listening, they typically have had someone in their life that has taken a lot of time to listen to them. And so you can identify right now, have I ever had someone listen to me? Have I ever got to share all of my hopes and dreams and failures and successes? And have I ever got to really unpack my heart in front of someone? Because if you don't have a safe place to do that, then you'll just, you'll let it out at all the wrong times and it will cause a problem in your relationships. Now, the final thing in terms of, of being great at listening, being quick to listen, is this one last thing and it, and it just hit me like a ton of bricks over the past couple weeks because I learned recently, I was listening to, I love the show The Herd with Colin Cowherd. So it's one of my favorite shows. I, I listen to it all the time. It's a, it's a talk radio uh, uh, sports show that's on you know, at noon every day, and, and I listen to it all the time. And Colin was actually, um, he always likes to talk about Tom Brady. He always likes to talk about the same thing all the time. He's always talking about Tom Brady. And recently, Tom Brady was on a different radio show that some of you may know, Howard Stern, not one that I watch, but Tom Brady was on there for an extended amount of time. And just recently on that interview, and Colin, he showed or he had a, a clip of this interview played on his radio show. Uh, Tom Brady talked about how before last fall, you may not know this, before the last football season that we just ended, right before the beginning of the season, his wife sent him a letter that basically said, if you don't change these things, it's over. Giselle, the supermodel, she and Tom Brady were at almost the end of their marriage. And basically she said, I've had it, I've communicated enough, and I'm gonna put it in writing, and if you don't change these things, then it's over. And Tom Brady was vulnerable enough to share that on the radio, which I thought was like, wow, I can't believe he was willing to share that. But one of the things I love about it is that, let's be honest, 
I mean, how many of us have, <laughs> have not had conversations with our spouses or our friends or whatever where it's like a dire straits and ultimately like you don't feel heard or they don't feel heard and, and it can get really, really bad. Ultimately, what had to happen is a list of things had to be sent to Tom Brady for them to get their relationship right. And so here's what I wanna share with you is that in order for us to be great at listening, in order for us to be great at listening, we have to be so intentional about wanting to know what the other person is trying to say. And it's sometimes not enough to just have them tell it to you. It's sometimes not enough to just have them say it in a moment of despair. Sometimes what has to happen is they have to actually make a list, write it down, and send it to you. And so what I wanna challenge you is, is with this idea, is that when you listen to someone, you should be able to list what's in their heart. You see, listening is this idea where you go, I care so much about what you're trying to say, what's on your heart, that I wanna know it so well. Would you actually write it down for me so that I can take what matters to you and I can read it and I can consider it? Because listening is when we're able to list What's going on in that person's heart? You know, John Gottman said this about relationships. He said that relationships are not, um, they're not successful unless you are capable of communicating to the person on the other side of the relationship their perspective to their satisfaction. Let me say that again. Your relationship cannot be successful until you are capable of communicating what the person is trying to say to you back to them, and they go, yes, that's what I'm saying. So ultimately, if you're not good enough at listening to the point where you can go, I know everything that's on your heart, I know everything that's on your mind, I know what matters to you, and I've taken it to heart, then you have a lot more listening to do. I put it this way, this is one I want you to never forget. Uh, it's gonna come up on the screen right now. It says this, if you listen well, you should be able to list what's in their heart. If you listen well, you should be able to make a list. Like if you care about people, we're supposed to be these new humans, right? We should be able to go, oh, my spouse, like I know the 10 things that matter to her the most. I can list them and I have started to do them. So here's the deal. I wanna give everyone in this quarantine kind of craziness, I wanna give you like an actual homework assignment. I want you if you've struggled at listening, if you feel like uh, you don't know what your spouse or friend or whatever is saying, I want you to take a big, big risk and ask for a list. Say, I wanna get better at listening. I wanna know what's going on with you. I'm gonna be quick, I'm gonna be skilled at listening and I want you to take some time and write down everything on your heart and send it to me in an email. Um, honestly, uh, I had, uh, I had to do this with Katie over the past month while we've been in quarantine. You know, tensions get higher, lots of stress on her, lots of stress on me, communication breakdown, and one day I just left and I just said, hey, I need to know everything that's on your heart. Would you just send a list? And it was really hard because it was like two pages longer than I wanted it to be, but it was helpful. 
It was helpful. It was helpful for, to, for her because she felt like I cared and I was listening. And I had a list now that I could just look at it and process through it and go, okay, and be able to start to, to spin it out into, turn it into a new way of treating her because I've listened well. I've, I've made a list for it. So I want you to do this. I want you to ask someone this week that maybe you're having some relational conflict with, maybe you're struggling through this thing with, ask them for a list. Be humble. Be quick to listen. Be skilled at it. Say, I'm gonna get better at listening. I'm gonna get so good at listening that I'm gonna be able to list what is in your heart. I wanna know it, so write it out for me, and I'm gonna take it to heart, and it's gonna transform the way that we do relationship. We're gonna sing a song now, and we did this on Friday. It's called The Blessing. And um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a, a revolutionary during World War II, he was someone who spent a year and a half in prison. He was leading the church in Germany um, while they were going through this crazy world war. He said this, he said, um, where a people prays, there is the church. Where people pray, where a people of, a group of people where they pray, there is the church. And where the church is, there is no loneliness. Where the church is, there is no loneliness. I know you might be listening to this message and you might be going, you know, I actually wish I had more conflict because I'm alone. I'm sitting at home alone and I'm by myself and, and I, you know, I, I hear that and I wish I could put that stuff into practice because I'm just sitting here alone. I just want you to, to know that you're not alone and that when we all pray, when we pray together, that God does something. He, he unites us. If you can pray, first of all, you're not alone. You're with God. Second of all, you're joining with the whole church around the world in unity to worship and, and, and reach out to God. And so right now what we're gonna do is we're gonna sing a song that is about a prayer. It's about a blessing that uh, I taught about um, at the Live at Five um, this Friday from the book of Numbers. And essentially this entire prayer is about how no matter what we do as a nation, as a culture, as leaders, as followers, no matter what, our saving grace is going to be God's blessing in our life. We need him all the time. Whether everything is going well or things are struggling, whatever it is, we always need the blessing of God. And so we're gonna sing this song. Lori and Matthew are gonna lead us through this song and I'm gonna lead us in prayer right before that. So would you just take a minute and pray with me. God, thank you so much for helping us see how important it is to listen, helping us understand that we are not good at faith if we are not good at listening. Help us to take this seriously and to not think that relationships are just a small piece of what it means to follow you, but it's, it's, it's everything. God, you, you, you became one of us to build a relationship with us so that we could see you and talk to you and we could be friends with you and you could experience what it means to love us that way. God, help us to love each other the way that you loved us. Father, I just pray for a blessing right now on the entire world. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would, you would move to those who are sick and, and suffering and those who have lost loved ones and those who are suffering right now in the hospital. And I just pray right now for the grace of God, 
the grace and the power and the presence of God right now in those spaces with this illness. God, I pray for the people that have lost jobs and the people that are in huge conflict because of this quarantine. Father, I pray that we would be transformed, that we'd become new humans, that we become more like you, we become better listeners, and therefore more faithful followers of Jesus. Father, I pray for a blessing. We need your grace. God, I pray that you would continue to do what you're doing in our, in our hearts and minds as this trial is making us turn to you more and more. And God, that is only good. It's like the best kept secret. It's like we didn't know and then stuff was taken away and now it's like it's all we need. We need you. I pray, God, that we would sense that. We would, we would feel the fullness of knowing you even though there's a great emptiness in the rest of our lives. We'd feel and experience the fullness of knowing God and having the blessing of Jesus in our lives. We thank you. We worship you together. In Jesus' name, amen.
men are made. Let's sing this over our families today, over our loved ones. Oh, we sing it out. May his favor be upon you in a thousand generations. And your family and your children and their children and their children. May his favor be upon you thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children may his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children may his favor be upon you and a thousand and your family and your children and their children and their children may his presence go before you and behind you and beside you all around you and within you he is with you he is with you in the morning in the evening and you're coming and you're going and you're I do just want to uh, ask for a blessing on your family, on your kids, and um, thank you so much for being a part of this. There's a lot going on uh, right now. I know there's a lot of tension, a lot of questions. We just need to stay faithful to doing what we're being ordered to do by the governor and the way they led us into this. I'm sure they'll lead us out um, the way that we should, so we just need to be patient and stay together and not fight and quarrel and listen. And uh, we are also gonna be with you again for the live at five, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So we look forward to spending some time with you then. Thank you for joining us today. We love you guys, and we really do hope to see you soon.